Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Extra Bit. This is our little gift to you, podcast subscribers. So this week, we had Natalie Campbell and also Claudia Liza Amar standing in for Harriet. And in this episode, you're going to hear from the amazing Dana Thomas. She is a New York Times bestseller with her book, Fashionopolis. We talk about the trouble with the fashion industry, but also the hope, including um, leather made in labs, uh, all very interesting stuff with her. And also Rebecca Mayers from the Sunday Times talking about their Sportswoman of the Year competition. And we're really excited that women are starting to get the recognition that they deserve. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Yesterday, we saw one of the biggest turnouts. History was made. The number of people who turned out talking about climate change, saying that, look, we need to do more. Politicians need to do more. Businesses need to do more. So it's really, really good that we have our next guest in with us. Her name is Dana Thomas, and she is the author of the new book, Fashionopolis, The Price of Fast Fashion and the Future of Clothes. The New York Times bestselling author, I must, I must add. Uh, Dana, first of all, just, just tell us about this, but this is, you were specifically targeting fast fashion and you want people to know just how bad this industry can be. Absolutely. It's not just fast fashion, it's all fashion. And in fact, I could have written this book about pretty much anything, but fashion is something that we can all relate to because we get dressed in the morning. But it's about, you know, the post-globalization world, where we are now with 30 years of unbridled capitalism and globalization. And what this means, basically, you know, I, I realized none of us know how our clothes are made anymore, mm. where they come from, who made them. You know, we have these tags on them that says made in Bangladesh or made in Italy. But what does that actually does mean? mean? Mm. We don't really know. And so I thought, here I am, somebody who's been writing about fashion for 30 years at the Washington Post and the New York Times. And I wasn't even really sure. I thought I knew. Mm. And when I started digging into this, boy, did I learn. What did you learn? Well, first of all, I learned that most brands don't really keep track of their supply chain. It's so fractured. It is so fractured. And then I went to Bangladesh and I saw the sweatshops. And in Vietnam, I saw the sweatshops. And in Los Angeles, downtown L.A., you can walk into the Bendix building and see sweatshops where there are people working for a dollar or two a day or an hour, a dollar to an hour in, in Los Angeles, making clothes for American brands who then can claim that things were made in the U.S. Mm. But they don't know that they were made in such horrible conditions and that these people are treated really badly and it's filthy and it's dangerous. 
just not as dangerous as Bangladesh with a building collapsing on you. But if there was a fire in that building, the fire escape would have collapsed under them. So it would have been as bad as Triangle Waste Fact factory fire 100 years ago nothing's really changed in 150 years how can that be in in a world so full of communication that we don't know it's a huge problem where where do we start is it the consumers asking these brands asking them what is going on where how are these clothes being made where is it coming from or is it just the brands just have to just have to be really transparent and say look we need to make changes yes yes and yes (laughs) (laughs) i think consumers need i I feel like the power of the purse is really important that we can say we want better from our, our our the brands where we shop and where we where we go and at the same time i feel like you know Brands should be more transparent because they can be in this digital age really easily. And if they aren't, then what are they hiding from us? And we need to ask that because obviously they are hiding something or they don't even know. And that's kind of inexcusable right now, especially in, you know, with the wake of the climate, the climate strike yesterday. So, yes, there are problems with human rights where people aren't paid even a living wage. Ninety eight percent of people working in the garment industry do not earn a living wage, which means they don't earn enough to house, clothe, and feed their families. That's crazy today, right? And that's why clothes are so cheap. Clothes have never been Mm. so cheap. And everyone says, well, I can't afford to pay more for my clothes. Well, in fact, you can. We pay today the same amount that we paid in the 1930s during the height of the Depression. Not adjusted for inflation, but the same Price. What do you the, mean? We pay the same price per item? Per, per item. Ready, luxury ready-to-wear. Luxury clothes were between $800 and $3,000 in 1930. And the, what they called the secretary special was 1999 The same as you you spend today in a fast fashion boutique for, for a, a common day dress or a, a little suit, right? Mm. Same price. Meanwhile, the co- cost of gasoline has gone up how much? Mm. And, the, and the cost of a house has gone up how much? The difference is that we now buy 10 instead of one. Mm. We buy 10 for 100 instead of one for 100. And we go out and buy clothes have become disposable. The way fast fashion has really affected us is it's changed the way we think about clothes and shop. But so this, we need to readjust and then we have to demand the brands to readjust. Yeah, because well, a lot of that, I think, comes from the, the fashion industry because fashion now, I mean, I remember growing up that, you know, seasons didn't change that much. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like the fashion industry almost goes, right, last year the look was hot pink. This year we're going to make it hot red or something. And then mm-hmm. you can't actually, well, I mean, you can, but like you have to then buy new clothes. So I feel like the fashion industry is perpetuating this is. new look four times you know, a, a year. Four, like 32 times a year. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting is that fast fashion was the the corner of the business that, that reset this clock. Companies like Zara, Zara started doing drops on floors you know, every two weeks to get people to come in the store all the time to see what it's was really going annoying, on. Actually, you go in there to buy something you and it's gone. it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's actually really annoying it's as, gone. Well as a consumer. And, um, and so, you know, when they started doing that, when everybody else said they had consumers come, a customer come in the store, say four or five times a year, Zara was racking up 17 times a year because mm. they were changing it up all the time. So you're like, hmm, what do they got? And it reset the clock for the entire industry. Now everyone does drops and pop-ups and there's, mm. you know, there isn't just spring summer and fall winter there's pre-collection there's resort there's this there's that there's special collections there's capsule collections 
Everyone, when John Galliano was making his own clothes, you know, his own brand for like, what, 15 years, he did two collections a year. When he left Dior, he was overseeing 32 collections a year. Wow. That's crazy, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. Dior. It was Dior and his brand. But still, it, you know, it had grown that, ex, you know, it was like a hamster wheel. And, and that was because fast fashion reset the clock. But it also changed our way of shopping and consuming clothes. So if, we burned through them just as fast, but too. But if we roll this back completely to the core of why Zara decided to do X number of, of, of drops and get people, um, you know, spending with them 17 times in, in any given point in time, it's that they were then making more money. Money, 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 money. And then everyone else says, oh, well, if... You know, Zara is making that amount of money. We want to make that amount of money. And whereas a designer, as opposed to just designing great clothes, you know, that, that that's not what they're allowed to do anymore. It's about making money for a brand. And so you then need to start competing as opposed to having, you know, one showing year or two showings a year. So how do we, in addition to resetting it as consumers and us not buying all of these things that we essentially do not need, and I know lots of women... You know, 10, 20 years older that still have pieces that they had in the 50s and they've kept really well because they mm. were cashmere or whatever it was and they spent you know a decent amount of money on a thing that would last them a lifetime. Yep. How do we reset both sides of it for consumers but also businesses? Because I can't... You know, making the case that you shouldn't be making as much money to then just buy another yacht doesn't seem to, to really mm. resonate much. Right, well... That's why I wrote the book. <laughs> and in fact, what I, I feel like the fashion industry right now, what this book shows, you know, while it's about fashion, it's not. It's about society today. It's about our economy today. It's about how we consume today. It's about how our things are made today. And it also is explains that income inequality, the wealth mm. disparity, the that's that segment, the one percent and the point one percent that have gotten so wildly rich in the last ten to fifteen years that we can't even begin to imagine how they live. Mm. And that's exactly it. At one point when I was working on the book, the president of Zara the owner of Zara, he owns the whole group, Mr. Ortega in Spain, was the second richest person in the world after Bill Gates, with a personal wealth of sixty eight billion dollars. At the same time, people in Bangladesh sewing clothes were being paid $68 a month. Oh, are you so basically <laughs> he he was making this extraordinary wealth, yeah. extraordinary wealth on the fingers of the the of the poorest of the, the poorest of the world. Mm. Dana, it sounds like you have carried out some incredible research. It'd be really interesting to find out what more you found when you went to Bangladesh and any other um, countries and other um, brands you went to to go and see. And while researching, putting this book together, we're going to speak to you a little bit more um, after this short break. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. So, Dana, you did a lot of research. You spoke about your time in Bangladesh. Um, what else did you find out? What was the, the, the stark, shocking things that, 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 that surprised you? Well, all the cool stuff that's happening. Yeah. We called this book the Book of Hope. Like, I just laid out some really depressing stuff, right? Like, <laughs> you just go sad. like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to take two aspirin okay, to bed. I'm just going to wear that bags for the rest of my life. <laughs> we're, we're pulling down the curtains. We're bat- you know, battening down. We're not doing we're no more. And, you know, we can talk about those boots that were made for walking. There's a very cool company in New York called Modern Meadow. 
And they're supported by Stella McCartney, who is this trailblazer in conscious fashion. Mm. It's, it's well made. It's green. It's and when, in her case, without leather or fur, because she's you know the mm. daughter of the world's fam- most famous hippie, and she was raised to really believe this way. And if nothing else, Stella is a woman of conviction. Mm. She is badass. <laughs> so she's supporting this company called Modern Meadow, and they grow leather in a lab. Oh, they fake leather. No, it's real leather. Real leather. They code. It's called biofabricated material because they're not allowed to call it leather because the official definition of leather is that it comes from an animal. Mm. And then fake leather also doesn't do it justice. No, as well. because that's yeah, like yeah, a it's synthetic. Poly- synthetic. This yeah. is code. They take what is leather. They code it. DNA. They code the DNA. They grow it in a vat of yeast. They can grow it to its shape. They can grow it to the size, exact size you need, so there's no waste, and there are no killing of animals involved. That's amazing. Super clean, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, say, how does this apply to fashion? You can grow the shape of the boot, or you can grow the cover of a seat for a car, but you can also, you know, do it without having to lean hard on industrial farming Mm. and have waste. Like, you know, alligators, they fight. Right, they're really nasty animals, and they fight. They're and every time they bite each other, they leave that was scars. Navigator, by the way, <laughs> you should hear my you should hear my dog growl. <laughs> they all sound the same, and so they leave marks on the skin. And then all those places where the skin is marked goes in the bin because it's not pristine, oh, right? Gosh. But if you're growing the leather, it's it's not marked up. It doesn't have mosquito bites. It doesn't have scars. It doesn't have a place where the cow rubbed up against the barbed wire, right? Right, All these things. And then you also don't have the whole question of industrial farming Mm. of animals, which is pretty grim. Mm. I don't get into that because the book Fast Food Nation talked enough about it for for a lifetime, I think. Mm -hmm. But then there's another cool company called Bolt Threads out of San Francisco. That's one of another, one of these brands, these companies, these startups that Stella is supporting, again, because it helps her be more green. And they uh, grow, they grow silk in a lab, sort of using the same method of code of it growing in yeast. And they use the system that spiders use to spin their 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 silk, and they produce this beautiful silk. The first dress made of this silk was a Stella McCartney dress that hung that was hanging in the um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art's show uh, is Fashion Modern. Mm-hmm. No, not Metropolitan, the Modern Museum of Art, the MoMA. In New York, and then she did another outfit for the V&A here in London last year, mm. at a sustainable fashion exhibit. It's very beautiful. It's luminous. It looks like silk, but it doesn't require the whole con- taking of the cocoon, boiling it, killing the the, the caterpillar. The oh, you know, wow. silk is a very dirty business. But to bring this back to the consumer, you know, I don't have Stella money, right? So <laughs> how do we get you know that level of the high street that, brands yeah, getting that involved in this? The beauty is, I'm thinking, I'm hoping. Let's like push this through. That it's going to be a bit like the organic food movement. That when a book like Fast Food Nation came out, organic food, you know, vegetables and fruit was very was expensive and very rare. Yeah. And now we have Whole Foods, and we have Whole Foods available through Amazon. That's as democratic as mm-hmm. you can get, mm-hmm. right? So I'm hoping that the more that I mean, these companies are startups, so they're just starting up. They have someone like Stella behind them saying, let's do it and put it out there. Mm-hmm. But like everything else, the more it's used, the more it spreads out, the more it becomes commercial, 
the price drops, mm. it becomes accessible, then we can all have it. And mm. in theory, we can replace the leather that we have from cows with the leather from the lab and it won't fall on the consumer. It's just smart business. But you also talk about circular fabrics um, and uh, hyperlocalism. And so while we wait for that to happen, we can also recycle the things. Recycle, reuse, resell, repair. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen a rise um, in there's you know there's new sites coming out now where you can rent Renting. fabrics. And I I've rent. Seen, yeah, and is it Ganny? The label Ganny is now starting, and they are going to rent their fashion. Do you think that the renting clothes is more of a way forward? Yes, absolutely. Mm. When I went to the Cannes Film Festival for something I had to cover for the New York Times, I rented the dress that I wore. I felt a little bit like Cinderella. <laughs> it arrived. I wore it, and then at midnight, it went back. It back. You know? And um, and then I rent when I speak at conferences. Mm. And um, from share where do you where do you rent? Oh, from? I rent in Paris okay. from a company called Panoply. Since I live in Paris. Oh, you live in Paris. Mm. I was going to say. So I rent from Paris, States, and and the guy there. comes over on a bicycle. Nice, oh my gosh! Very this cute. is real so, eco fashion. Isn't so it's this? very and it's very uh, Cinderella like that. You know, Coachman in Cinderella. That yeah. bicycle guy comes over and holding up. Here's your here are your clothes. Well, thank you. Aren't you cute in your lycra outfit? <laughs> sustainable lycra. Sustainable lycra. Okay. Spandex. Exactly. Sustainable spandex. Very cute. How so, else have you changed? Um, well, how, how you shop, some, how you buy, things, how you wear well, clothes. A friend of mine said, you know, if you ever spill red wine on your shirt, don't freak out and go, oh, the shirt's ruined. Just dunk the whole thing in red wine. I'm like, oh, right. Then you have a burgundy shirt. It's a new shirt. Yeah. I was like, why not? And, you know, same with coffee it, and tea. Yeah. Tea dye at your shirt if you spilled tea on it. It's not ruined. It's got a second life. <laughs> um, we can do really simple things like wash our clothes less mm. and wash them on the short cycle with cold instead of the long cycle with hot. Oh my gosh, you know who yeah, told me to do that? I, I do the that. man from Procter & Gamble. He said, wash your clothes less. We wash our clothes too much. And that's the company that wants you to wash, wash your clothes. As much mm. as you can. And he said, you know, just by sh- cutting the cycle from the long cycle to the short cycle, you're saving vast amounts of energy. And then using cold instead of hot, you're saving energy in heating the water. And also we have this problem with microfibers coming out of polyester. Yeah. And the more that you heat up the, the the garment in the wash and the more you spin it around, the more microfibers are released. So, so the microbeads. No, they're yeah. fibers. They're oh. coming from polyester. It kind of sheds. It's as bad as a microbead. Oh, really? It's yeah. kind of sheds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can find them now in rivers and That's it. That's everywhere. The, yeah. And uh, and so, of course, it makes sense. If you don't heat up the the polyester, it won't shed so much. And if you don't spin it around as much, it won't set, shed so much. And we give our life long, a long, our clothes a longer life if we wash them less and wash them, you know, and beat them less in the machine. Something as simple as that completely changes it up. But what, but what do we? How do we change though? There is an awful lot of people who really enjoy fashion. They mm. really enjoy getting dressed up. How are yeah. you going to convince? And I remember my twenties. I wore a lot more clothes than I do now. How are we going to change that mentality of when people are like literally and the Instagram generation yep. where they don't want to be snapped in that same dress? Well, over there's and a over couple again. of things. You know what my daughter does? She's 19. She and her girlfriends get together and they swap clothes. Right. Like we used to borrow clothes, mm. but then we give back. Mm. But they actually swap them. Mm-hmm. And so she'll walk in the kitchen in some new blue sweater. I'm like, that looks really cute. Where, where'd you get it? It's Maya's, but now it's mine. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. Take that. And then, um, you know, and then. It's cool to rewear. I mean, you know who I love right now as as Instagram and public figures who are influencers, the best two for me in this regard, are Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle because they do, they do they the do. royal rewear. They do rewear. I mean, how yeah. many times have we seen Kate in that 
that dark green Alexander McQueen coat. Yeah, that's true. And you know what she says when she trots it out, you know, for a thing with the queen and then a wedding and then a baptism and then a ribbon cutting? She's saying, I love this coat. Mm. So I'm just going to keep wearing this coat because it's a great coat. Mm. And you can do this too. That that the idea of Hollywood, the one gown, one garment, you know, one gown, one red carpet, one snap is actually not cool because it's very wasteful. And that but it's more cool to rewear. They don't own those dresses. They come from the Kate showroom. Yeah. And I'm really? talking about the, the Hollywood, Hollywood and that, oh, right. right. Yes, yes. But yes, they're promoting yeah. the idea that we should yeah. be doing that, and we do yeah. own them. Mm. And that's what's you know. That's why I love that the royals are doing the rewear. So you are an American. I'm American. Living in Paris. Living in Paris. Everybody knows that film. They'll be very, um, very, very <laughs> pleased with me of that. American living in Paris. Um, you're in the UK right now. What do you see in terms of differences? And is, you know, is the nation getting it right, doing better than, than one? Well, much of the book is set in the UK because a lot of the startups and a lot of the innovation is happening in yeah. the UK. In London Brilliant. and in uh, in Manchester, there's yay, a... a yay, London. Yeah, there, yay, <laughs> London. Yay, UK. Manchester. <laughs> there's a great factory up in Manchester called English Fine Cottons where they took one of those old 19th century Dickensian-like cotton mill from Cottonopolis and they refitted it with state-of-the-art computer-run machine milling machines and, and started milling cotton for the first time in 70 years in England. Mm. And it's clean. It's created jobs. It, they, they supply to companies in England like um, the Mac company, Private White, I think it's called, okay. um, and a couple of others. Beautiful, beautiful cotton mm. back in old Cottonopolis. And it's and they're showing that you can do it in a clean way with where it does you know, you don't have to inhale fibers, it doesn't have to be a sweatshop, people can earn a decent living and it's good for the community. And they repurposed an, an empty building, it had been sitting empty for seventy years. That's a good one. There's another company in Somerset House called Unmade. Mm. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. it's these fabulous kids who met in, in college. And they're engineers and, and she, one, two engineers and a knitwear specialist. And they came up with a program that you can fit onto the knitting machines that you already have in places like Hoik. I could say Hoik, right? <laughs> and make cashmere sweaters one after the other differently. So the whole idea of economies of scale where you have to make 100 red sweaters mm. and even if you're only going to sell 80 is gone. And now you can make a red sweater, then the purple V-neck, then oh, the green wow. turtleneck, then the beige crew neck, and then, a gr- you know, and on and on. Each one can be different. These kids came up with this. Mm. So that's going to change. And it's re- revitalizing uh, the mills in Scotland and the factories in Scotland. Well, Dana, it's it's brilliant to hear that we yes. are getting it right and leading the way in this area. The book of hope. If, if <laughs> indeed, if you want to find out the truth about the fashion industry, the truth about fashion, um, fast fashion, then you want to get Dana Thomas's book, Fashionopolis, The Price of Fast Fashion and the Future of Clothes. Dana, really good talking to you. You too. Thanks for having hour. me here on a fun Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. We are going to be talking Sports Women of the Year. The awards are up again this year and it has been, I have to say, it seems every year we are getting better in terms of sports representation, women in sports, Mm. glorifying, talking about, showing more sports involving women. I mean, look, this year, the Women's World Cup, Mm. record viewers. That was fantastic. A real real excitement. We were getting excited the way we get excited during the Men's World Cup. I don't think I've I've ever seen that. We also had women's netball doing incredibly well. Cricket as well. Yeah, horse racing. Oh, it's, it's been a good year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, been it's been a good year. So it's going to be a real tough challenge to choose a sportswoman of the year. Um, but yeah, let, let's find out who's going to be up for that. We've got Rebecca Myers from the Sunday Times. Good evening to you, Rebecca. You're going to be announcing the sportswoman of the year um, tomorrow. Is that right? Hi. Yeah. So it launches tomorrow, and um, basically we're going to our nominations period. So it's down to the public, and they can choose and they can say who they want to be up for the awards we've got seven different awards and yeah anyone and everyone who's who's been like you said part of this amazing year of women's sport um if you want to put them forward you can you can do it yeah so talk us through the seven awards then so we've got everything from this kind of the top top award as it were they just the sportswoman of the year but then we have young sportswoman of the year disability sportswoman of the year um and then we also have our, our more grassroots categories these are for maybe someone in your community who's just done an amazing thing and works with women or or kids or whatever it might be um in the past we've had women who run netball teams for um you know kids of all different ages women who run um football teams for for girls who are homeless absolutely extraordinary um a woman who ran an online surfing community to kind Mm -hmm. of support female surfers just some amazing stories and we love you know getting the public to send those in because you know who's a kind of hero in your local Mm -hmm. community and and we'd love to hear about it and this is our second year supporting um the awards and we've had some brilliant guests in uh each year are you seeing the volume of um nominations increasing and do you have a few favorite stories if you're allowed to pick a favorite (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean and i think this year like you said there's just we're just spoiled for choice there's just going to be so many different um, people who could be could be up for any of the awards. Um, certainly last year, I mean, it was something amazing. Like we saw a two thousand percent increase in people wow. engaging with the awards and sending their ideas in. Um, and for me, it is it is the grassroots award. It's it's. I'm very lucky. I get to do the interviews with the shortlist. So um, we tend to have about four or five people who end up on the shortlist. And you know, I've gone down and um, and surfed with the girls on the coast. I've gone 
um, and, you know, interviewed people in gymnastics halls, like, you know, miles away from, from where I live. But that's, to me, always the most amazing thing is, is talking to people and their friends and family about what that person has done for, for their community and, and brought sport into people's lives in that way. Now, some people at home might be saying, well, why are we talking about this? We need an award for men's sport or something. Like that. <laughs> I think they've, had, they've got a few. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> got a couple. But, but we, we, we always get it. Why isn't there a badass men's hour? Mm, keep listening to the radio. Life anyway, men's hour. Yeah. Which, but some research according to... Wednesday. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Every year, every year. Um, women in sport said 90% of girls aged 13 to 16 do not meet the guidelines for daily activity. And so it's one of the reasons you're doing this to highlight uh, female role models so more girls get involved in sport or you know do more than just pee yeah absolutely i mean i'm a i'm a great believer in you can't be what you can't see and mm-hmm. we know um that girls are so for me one of the starkest is that 60 percent of teenage girls consider themselves not sporty and 60 percent of teenage boys consider themselves sporty so that's mm-hmm. i mean it's as stark as that really women um carry it you know on throughout their life but it really starts when we, we think as young as sort of nine now, girls are just turning off sport. They don't want to participate. They don't want to be involved. Um, and, you know, for decades and decades, they haven't seen sports women on TV. They haven't mm. seen them in the papers. Um, they've had no role models to look up to. And, and I really believe that, you know, a year like this year could change a whole generation's experience of, of what it means to be a sports person. No, you're so right, Rebecca. I mean, if you look at the, 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 at the grassroots level, as, as you were talking about, the the money, the time that's now being invested, because ladies, um, Emma Nassar, I don't know if you know, when it came to, to women's football, women's Premier League, uh, back in the day when it first started, more people would actually go out to watch women play football than men. Mm, but really? the FA decided to shut it down. Of course. Yeah. So they brought it back. And of course by this time it has had not had the same kind of investment of course mm. as the men's league and so there's been the struggle but look at what happened at the women's world cup this year rebecca i mean we really are seeing a real turning point in terms of women in sport mm. yeah absolutely and, and i've written a piece for in tomorrow's sunday times which you know kind of touches on that there was a sort of as i've said in the piece there was a bit of a running joke if you were someone who covered women's sport everyone was like oh stop mm. talking about a tipping point stop calling it that you know <laughs> what if it isn't Um, But I I really feel that it has been, you know, there's a lot more work to do. There are, especially in women's football, for example, there are lots of clubs who, you know, players still aren't given boots or they still have to pay to play. But we're miles ahead of of even probably where we dreamed we could be this year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great time. Rebecca, we've had a, a lot of different um, sportswomen on the show and one of the, the common themes is a lot of these women are trying to hold down full-time jobs yeah. and mm. be professional sportswomen. And, mm. you know, this this is a running problem when people go, well, you know, women's football isn't as good as the men's. And it's like, well, actually, some of these women aren't, you know, full-time professional sports people. Is the women's sport moving... It, moving towards that are there going to be less stories of these women who are trying to hold down full-time jobs and fit in you know five or six hours training a day I think there will be less of those stories but it's still incredibly common Um, and I mean even again that sort of lower end of the even the top tier of women's football where you have to be professional to be part of that league you have to pay your players but some of these clubs are offering payers less than the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So they will have to take on extra work. Um, women's rugby is another great example. There's lots of fanfare this year about bringing in new contracts and getting people paid for the first time. But, you know, 90% of those athletes 
still have second jobs because not a single club in this country pays their players to play for their club. It's literally only if you play for England that and you I, get money. I just don't understand, especially when it comes to football and rugby, and football especially, with the amount of the amount of money those Premier League you know, um, players get paid and then the female equivalent Mm. are just on less than a basic salary. I just don't know, as a club, how you can think that is okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is changing and um, part of the big thing that we're sort of waiting for is um, women's football needs some TV rights and the hope Mm. is that that will come quite quickly because at the moment men's teams are subsidising their women's sides. Um, But again, like you said, for me, I find it quite difficult often just to get my head around the kind of money involved with the men's game. Mm. Um, And really how much is, you know, 10 grand extra per player that will change that girl's life Mm. and mean that she doesn't, you know, have to eat beans on toast every night. Rebecca, just to to clarify that, the the male teams are also subsidising the junior teams of boys that are playing the sport too, right? So they're they're basically subsidising everyone that's in that that team that doesn't play for the premiership team i don't know much about football it's it's not it's not always the case there are some women's clubs who are standalone um women's clubs who kind of don't have a some people call it like a brother team um but certainly the likes of like your chelsea and your arsenal and your manchester city will get a lot of their budget from the men's side Um, no it was less about the the women's bit so some people might say well the men are subsidizing the women and i'm trying to find out if ultimately the 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 lead team is subsidizing everything so it's also subsidizing the junior teams so you know the under 18s or 21s or whatever it is yeah to an extent but um certainly on the men's side it's it's so there's so much money to be made even from such a young age the transfers that go on in in men's use can be quite like lucrative as well so um they're they're very big businesses and often they're obviously owned often by extremely wealthy families who um, or wealthy businessmen who, you know, money is less of an object. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, certainly in the next year or so, to um, just make it more sustainable. And when are the awards? Are we going to see it on TV as well? It's uh, 21st of November, so we've got a couple of months and, and we'll do nominations period now and then the public have a chance to vote on Team of the Year and Grassroots Award, which is fantastic. And Team is going to be incredibly tough race this year. Well, mm. You know, I would guess the Lionesses will be... Um, up for the award um, the rugby team won the Six Nations Grand Slam the netball team obviously came third at the World Cup and you've had the Solheim Cup so <laughs> team of the year is going to be real battle I think definitely um, and then yeah they, they won't be on TV but you can follow it all in the Sunday Times and um, you know yourselves will be covering the awards as well so that's yeah. fantastic news and do you think there could be I don't know if people are calling you know not not just to celebrate women, you know, celebrate both men and women where you can have the sports person of the year um, and it's also going to be women celebrated in that as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously with all of this stuff and, and the bulk of what I cover is women's sport and you sort of hope one day that your job isn't that anymore because everybody's doing it. Um, mm. I think we're a long way off that. Like you said, things like the ban on women's football that went on for 50 years, oh, we're still working yes. to undo the damage of that. Um, the Sunday Times have been doing these awards for 32 years now. Um, and when you think, you know, it's, it was extraordinary 10 years ago, let alone 30 years ago, it's quite amazing um, to have done it all that time. But I think we still know that there's not enough coverage of women's sports in newspapers and on television. Um, and the more we can do to raise the profile of female athletes, the better, really. And how does the judging work? Uh, was, did you say it's people, it's all, all the public who vote and choose? So five of the awards are done by um, an expert panel once the public have submitted their um, nominations, nominations for who should be shortlisted. Um, the panel includes 
absolutely incredible sportswomen. We've got Dame Some Jessica Brennan, yeah. um, Rebecca Adlington, um, Natalie Sawyer from TalkSport, um, Gabby Logan, Victoria Pendleton. I mean, I could go on. There's so many brilliant women. Kate Richardson-Walsh um, is one of our favourites. Yeah, yeah she's, she's fantastic. She's she wore before. a brilliant T-shirt last year saying, our stories matter. Um, I just looked very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the public can vote in, in two of the awards, so the team and the grassroots. And we really, it's really important that people do get involved and vote for that because there are just so many people who deserve the award. There's really, you know, only one way to decide and, and it's to vote for your favourite, bit like the X Factor. Okay. <laughs> okay, Rebecca Myers from the Sunday Times. Sunday Times Sports Women of the Year Awards all being announced uh, tomorrow. But Rebecca Myers from the Sunday Times, really good talking to you. Thank you. One, two, three, four... This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.